Welcome to Genius Leadership Overcoming Everything podcast. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighter mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their rollercoaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. If you find the show valuable, could you do me a favor? Rate and review the podcast. Share it with your network so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. And for now, let's take the ride together. Hey, Genius Leader, welcome to another episode of this show. Uh, today, you will hear my conversation with Dr. Jeffrey Prickett, who is the principal of uh, Mark Henry High School in Illinois, U.S., where they're serving approximately 2,400 students and their families. And I really love how Jeff is describing his goal or his purpose which is to help children and adults achieve at extremely high levels, both in their personal and professional lives. With Jeff, we have met, uh, as you'll hear a bit in the conversation, through his podcast, where my assistant really, uh, pitched me. And with our conversation before their interview, during the interview, and then we continued the conversation after the interview for the Principal Leadership Lab podcast, I just got to love his spirit, his approach to building a community as a leader, a community of the school staff, of the parents of the kids studying in the school, at the school, and the broader community in the district. And I think there are lots of valuable lessons in his approach and his experiences that you can apply no matter where you are. And this is why I invited Jeff to talk with me on the show and we'll be talking about becoming principal his journey of getting to that leadership role within the tough environment of uh, of the school of a public school you will hear us coming back again and again to the valuing people and spending your time and effort on on your people whether it is your customers, whether it is your uh, employees, whether it is some uh, other stakeholders that you have in your environment, in the context of your organization. Jeff is sharing his lessons on how he has learned to listen to the people. Uh, In his case, it was the parents who didn't feel comfortable enough to contribute to the community and how he has learned to listen to them in the way that they feel heard. And I really love how he's saying that listening to people for him is about making you feel like you're the only person in the room and my full attention is with you we're talking about his mistakes or his challenges that he's had with listening or with committing to building the relationships with people and how he has learned to be better at those things and how he has learned to build healthier more sustainable relationships with um, people who depend on him or who he depend on and uh, how he is putting lots of time and effort into building a community through spending time through having enough quantity of that time and having high quality of that time to get to know your people to understand what their needs are and to really address them to have the courage sometimes to say I don't know, or I can't, or we need to come up with a solution ourselves or together. Um, and sometimes say, this is not within my power because you can't decide everything sometimes. So 
I hope you will really enjoy this conversation. You'll take something from it for you, irrespectively of which area you're acting in professionally. There are a lot of golden nuggets here. And I really want you to listen with open mind and think how you can apply the pieces of advice that Jeff is sharing in your daily work already today. Enjoy and see you on the other side. Hi, Jeff. Super warm welcome to the show. Thank you, Anna. So glad to be here with you again. I've, I've, I've uh, been thinking about you and being on the, on the show, and I'm thrilled to be here. So thanks for having me. Thanks for, for finding time. I know it's super busy for you, running a quite a big school, having your book just been released, uh, released two weeks ago, or a week ago even. And it's always a lot, right? You have a big family and to take yeah. care of and quite a lot of happening in your life. So thank you so much for finding time and, and being with me. I enjoy every hour conversation and I uh, love your insights more and more with every time we talk. Right. I've been a, uh, had the honor of being on your show, which we're going to talk about as well, but and um, happy to return this with the favor, so to say, and, and share your knowledge and wisdom with my audience today. Great. Thank you. Well, again, I, I couldn't be more thrilled to be here and uh, I was glad we could find a, a mutual agreeable time. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't easy, but it's it's possible. Thing. It became possible thanks to Marie. Shout out to you, Marie. Shout out to Marie. She's great. Who patiently, <laughs> patiently reached out again and again to really find the yes. time that really fits both of us in our different time zones. Yes. So, and Jeff, I used to... Yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to say about Marie, she's wonderful. And every time she sends me an email to push me and remind me, she goes, you're awesome. <laughs> she, yeah, she's amazing. I'm so blessed to have uh, her and uh, the Anastasia, who is also helping me as yeah. uh, my team. They they lift me up, they push me, they support me. And yeah, that that's what we all need and as leaders, as community builders, and uh, as people who want to create legacy and impact in this world, right? Yeah, absolutely. She's great. So I'm glad you have her. Same. Thanks for, for the, thanks for sharing this <laughs> happiness yeah. with me. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So Jeff, I usually start with a question about sustainable performance mm-hmm. or sustainable leadership. You can pick whichever you feel like talking about. When you hear those words, what comes to your mind? Wow. Well, that's a that's a great way to start, Anna. Let's just jump right in, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no. Yeah, that's a good warm-up question. Um, it's a big one. So I, I think that um, you know when I think about that phrase, uh, either sustainable leadership or sustainable performance, you know, the obviously the word that sticks out to me is you know the root word sustain, right? Mm-hmm. So how how do we sustain something over over a period of time? And um, I can translate that to my work in the field of of public education here in the United States to just, you know, first of all, being here in in one place, you know, too often, at least in here in the United States, school leaders, they come and go sometimes, you know, it's very rare that you will find a leader who's in one place for any, for a great length of time, for any number of years to take me, for example, now the longest I've spent in one place is eight years. And I find that to sustain 
not only a level of performance, but to sustain and then a, and then be able to make change, um, you have to have some consistency and, and consistency uh, can be grown and developed by, by staying in one place over a, over a length of time to develop relationships, to develop trust and rapport, to get get a get as they say a groove going you know to get a good feel going for the community that you work in so that's one one area of of response but i think another area of obviously is personal sustainment right how do you sustain to have sustainable lasting impactful performance and and you obviously have to take care of yourself right to to be able to sustain and you and i have talked about that before when i know you were shocked to find out that i don't really take vacation Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, it's very different here i think in in the united states perhaps maybe not for all but you have to take care of yourself whether that's well i think it's a combination of mental and physical and and um just how you what you take in to feed your soul, you know, to be able to be healthy mentally and physically and emotionally so that you can sustain um, for the good of, of others. Right. I mean, I I think that's, you know, I'm rambling now, but I think that's it in a nutshell, maybe for me, as I think Mm -hmm. about it. It's very interesting what you say about the uh, principles moving on to the next job, next school. And uh, you you said that the maximum for you was eight years. If I think about the business world, entrepreneurial world, the CEO comes into the company. The average, I think, is three years or so uh, of staying there. And it's considered a norm because you need some phase of change, for example, or some kind of leadership. And then that person fulfills that role fulfills the the needs of the company, but then it's time to continue the development to move on to the next stage, next development Mm. of sustaining what you have created. And that's not the the best person to sustain what they have created. So how do you find that in the public education sector? Is that good? Is that bad? What are the challenges and what are the good parts of people moving around? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I think the good parts of moving around in any organization are to always remain fresh, you know, always to have new invigorating ideas, you know, and so you could look at it in, in one of two ways, you know, I stayed for eight years in that one, in that one building. The, the elementary building where I was principal. And I, you know, I, I think that had I stayed, I think things would have been fine for me and for my staff and for kids and for the parental community. I think we would have continued to grow. And I certainly was not asked to leave. You know, it was my choice. And I and I think that on the on the other hand, like I mentioned, I think that to gain momentum, to have some consistency, to have um, you know, a, a knowledge base built up and and be able to perform well. I think it does take somebody staying and getting things headed in the right direction. And so, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a double edged sword almost to mm-hmm. me. You know, I, I think that it can be good and it can be bad. I mean, you know, look at look at big leaders of of large companies who've stayed for decades. You know, and and uh, thrived for decades. How do they do that? You know, when you talk about, you know, sustainable performance, I mean, how do you, how do you thrive and sustain for decades in one place? You know, it's possible as we've seen. So it is, it is. but uh, of course it's challenging. And of course, to sustain the performance and the success of the company for that long time with, with one leader at the top, they need to be very 
adaptive, right? And, and very active on listening the, the trends within the company and outside so that they actually learn what is changing so they don't stagnate as an organization, as the company providing value to their uh, customers, hopefully. So I think it's a lot about, yes, staying on the same place, but not staying the same person, the same leader. Uh, yeah, not staying the same person. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. You know, I, I think I know um, of, a, of a couple of school districts here in, in the United States that purposely every four to five years move the, the building leaders around mm. to different to different buildings. And uh, I, I don't know the research on that. I don't know. I, I know that they do it to to remain fresh and to you know, infuse uh, new ideas into into staff. And sometimes that can be good, but sometimes that can be bad. I've heard staff members from different districts say, you know, oh, here we go again. We have to mm. we have to learn a new leader's ways. You know, we have to we have to learn new ideas um, of doing things, ways of doing things. And sometimes people, you know, don't want to change. Right. And, and um, sometimes that can be good and sometimes bad. So I don't know there's, I think it's good and bad to, to either. Yeah, for sure. It's not like we have a golden uh, or silver bullet here, right. And the right. solution that will fit every organization. The, the needs are very different and you need to be very smart on how you move people around and how you present it and how you listen to your people when they're so tired of it that they can't stand another change. How right. do you manage that? How do you address that and, and really help your people get through those changes in a healthy way for them and for the organization and for the leader who's coming in? Right. And so that's so true. I, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. I think that uh, the, you know, the, you mentioned a key word right now, people are so tired, right. Mm -hmm. And they, they just want, you know, for, to for something something normal <laughs> something that feels normal to them and so the idea of an, yet another change is just overwhelming for people and and uh, yeah they they either leave or they they i don't know maybe don't perform as well as they could because they're so tired so yeah i don't know we have to find a way i think as leaders to keep um the momentum going to keep staff morale up to keep people, I don't want to say keep people happy because I, I don't believe that it's our job to make sure people are happy. I think that falls on yourself to find happiness, right? But we can certainly, you know, make the workplace a happy place, right? I've always believed that you need to have fun at work. And if you're not, then don't, don't work there. <laughs> go, find, yeah. go find someplace that makes you happy, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I really like it how you'd separate that, that uh, happiness is actually the person's responsibility or employee's responsibility. You as an employer, as a leader, your responsibility is to create all the prerequisites for that environment in the work that actually will make it easier for people to be happy but it's still the work of every person to lead themselves to this place of happiness because happiness is a choice we can be in the best situation ever and the best place in the world but if we don't have it within ourselves we'll be miserable and that's what we see unfortunately nowadays yeah so thank you for that separation and and, and the, like distinguishing those two things as i think it's a it's a topic of itself, actually. It is. It is. It, yeah, it, it really is. And I think that it can it can sound harsh almost. You know, it can sound, you know, when somebody says, like, your happiness is not my responsibility, right? I mean, that, that can sound harsh maybe to somebody, but it's very true. It has to come from within yourself. And I know there are extremes where, you know, you are in a miserable situation and there might truly be no way out of it. And that is the ultimate 
task of finding true happiness within, right? Yeah. When, when everything uh, uh, without <laughs> on the outside is 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 bad, so to speak. So. And there are so many stories about that, you know, how people really choose to turn the worst and the most adverse events in their lives into the support for them to build their resilience, to build the strength and to build this spirit of being or right. choosing to be happy. Right. Um, I always lean onto those stories when I start feeling some self-pity and so on. And I'm like, yeah, I could continue with that, but let's put a timer for two minutes. And then after that, <laughs> I'll actually get up and just really continue working on, okay, what can I affect right now? What is within my power and work on those things because that is the the whole goal of uh, working with self-leadership that we can actually catch ourselves, be self-aware enough to, to catch those moments and have the strategies and the tools to help ourselves to get out of that mode when we feel like, okay, now it's enough. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, you said something that, strikes a chord with me and that I, you know, I work with the, with the youth that I work with, the teenagers that I work with, you know, if something bad happens and they come to me and they're, they're spouting off about it or talking about it, or they're miserable about it. Uh, you know, I, I think it's important that, that to, to point out to people that it's okay that how you're feeling right now, no one can take that or should take that away from you, but give yourself a time limit, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. let's put a cap on it. You know, give it, allow yourself to grieve or whatever the case may be and do that for a day or two if you have to. But then let's let's start making some choices to move on. You don't have to forget, but but let's start moving. You can't stop. You can't stop. So interesting. You, you now are saying that your students come to you and that is I, I take it as a bridge into our conversation about you becoming principal, mm. which is the name of your book, Becoming a Principal, yeah. that you have released very recently. Congratulations to the bestseller on the uh, on, on Amazon. And I'm really looking forward to to see uh, your book changing the mindset and uh, really giving the food for thought for many more leaders, whether it is within the education system or not. And I want to talk a bit more about that. You are running a school with 2,400 students, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's correct, yes. And you are saying that students do come to you when they feel bad. They do, yeah. Wow. (laughs) Let's talk about that. How did you create that environment where students, so one of the customer (laughs) segments or one of the employees, so so to say, segments of, of, of you as a leader, feeling free to come to you when they have issues. Right, right. That's a good That's a good um, way to put that. I like that you say that, you know, like um, maybe in the business world, these would be your customers, right? These, the kids are my customers, right? We are, we are serving kids and their, and their families. And so um, when I, you know, when 20 years ago, almost when I first became principal, my first principal job, um, I was, I was worried about, I remember at the time I was worried about leaving the classroom as a teacher because I wouldn't have good relationships with kids anymore, or better put, I wouldn't know how to continue to create relationships with kids because I didn't have them in front of me every Mm -hmm. single day, the same Mm -hmm. kids. So I think that was just one of those things that was important to me to really learn how to maintain and develop relationships being the being the principal and to allow them to to come to me with with issues and with problems but I think that um over time I you know that's so important to me that I realized that um 
I have to be that the one to, or I want to be the one, you know, at least one of the people in the building that they can feel comfortable coming to. So, mm-hmm. so yes, I, I, I hear that from adults all the time. Like why, you know, you're talking to your principal, why, <laughs> you know, because I think, I think in the, maybe the traditional sense of the word principal, you know, this was the person that you would go to when you got into trouble, or mm-hmm. this was the person whose office you wanted to stay out of at all costs. Well, it is the reverse for me. I have kids coming in and eating lunch with me and, and we chat about different things and, and they feel free to do that. Now I'm in a new, I'm in a new school and I, and, um, I have a lot of kids here that who don't know me. And so it's going to take a little bit for them to understand that, you know, that I am this type of person and that I have other people in the building, deans and assistant principals who you go to if, you know, for, for trouble, you know, if you got into trouble for something, that's not me. I think there's a very clear distinction. You know, I can still bring the, you know, the heavy and be that person, but it's going to be in a different sense. You know, it's going to be in a sense where, um, you know, I have a relationship with you. And so you're not going to want to let me down if I have that relationship with you, you know? Mm-hmm. So, well, it's, I, I'm impressed, honestly. I had, a, I started in a school that was much, much smaller back in Ukraine. And I never had a conversation with my, uh, with the principal of my school, with teachers and the vice principal, yes. But it was more because the vice principal was actually an acquaintance of my family. So sometimes she would get me in there because we had a more personal relationship and she wanted to get some more insider information or perspective of the pupils on the things that are going on and so on. So I was more of this kind of insider there for her, but I don't think she had it with many more pupils, for example. So it's uh, it's eye-opening for me, Jeff, to, to see that you are having that and you've managed to build that. And let's talk more about that. You have employees, but then you, as we started talking about, you have clients and clients are not only the pupils, the students within your school, but also their families. How are you thinking about bringing them together to build a community? And what is your role as a leader in all this process? Mm. Well, I think that's um, that's tricky and it takes time, you know? And so when we talk about, when we first talk, started talking, we talked about sustainable leadership and sustainable performance. And we kind of shifted that to, you know, somebody staying in one place for any length of time. Mm-hmm. At, at my During my first principalship of an elementary school of about 700 kids, I think that, and I talk about it in the book too, becoming principal, that it took eight years to understand the needs of the community. It mm-hmm. took eight years to really eventually build up trust and to really be a place of of welcome and love and comfort and support uh, for kids and their families. You know, by the end of that, those eight years, I was going into, you know, their homes in out in the community. Um, because I really needed to understand perhaps, you know, why parents weren't coming into the school. Why, you know, it was, it was perceived that um, they didn't, you know, that there was not a whole lot of parental support. And in the in that neighborhood, in that community where I worked, it was what I discovered was that parents were not comfortable because they didn't speak English. 
They spoke mm-hmm. Spanish. A lot of them were were immigrants from Mexico, and they they just didn't speak Spanish, and so they weren't comfortable with their with their with well. Obviously, if you don't if you can't understand somebody, you know it's 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 going to be difficult to develop a relationship. So I think that you know once I understood after a number of years what the community really wanted, then we could start to see some progress, and then you know they knew that I was really listening to them and really wanted what was best for their for their kids to the degree that, as I mentioned, I went into um, parents' homes and um, had had some parents um, who helped me get the word out, get the message out that I would be there and to invite them and we would have some food and we would just have a conversation. And it started like this. What do you want for your kids? And how can I best serve you? How can I best, you know, how can we get that? You know, so they all want the same thing. They don't want, you know, good education. They want their kids to feel loved. They want their kids to feel welcome. They don't want the same thing. Just how do we, how do we get there? And I think that takes time. So I've learned that over, over the years. And so when I say I'm in a new school now and um, not a new community, but a new school, I'm running two high schools um, that are about five minutes apart from one another. And uh, a lot of these families and kids don't know me yet. We're only eight weeks into school. So we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. I want to follow up on this, uh, that it takes time, but first I just want to give a personal example how I how well I can relate as a parent right now. Being in Iceland and I moved here less than three years ago with a newborn. She was five weeks old, so now she's in a daycare here. And uh, I went and volunteered to be part of the parent committee. It's a very small school. They have two tiny buildings. It's four groups uh, of kids or four classes of, of kids. And uh, I don't know Icelandic still. I didn't have the resource to really commit to learning it in a proper way. It would not be the first foreign language that I'm learning, but I just I, I know what it takes for me because I've already <laughs> learned quite a lot of languages, and I, I just know that I don't have the capacity for that right now. So that was quite a discomfort for me to go into the parent committee as the only uh, non-Icelandic person there, mm. and uh, we had the first meeting in person last week. So. Of course, it wasn't Icelandic. And I was just there sitting and really listening, trying to understand. And I, I grabbed the red thread of the conversation, but then they were like, oh, yeah, should we switch, switch to English? And I was like, well, if you want my input or if you want any action from me, please do. Otherwise, I'll just keep like use this as a practice. And when we have any kind of written conversation, then I just use Google Translate to help me understand what is going on. And then I reply in English, not a problem for them. And it is a big threshold. It, it is quite tough to get over it and just say like, hey, yeah, I have an outsider here, a complete outsider, but I actually want to contribute to the community. I want to help the school that I really appreciate so much, where my daughter is really thriving. I want to support you with whatever I can. But at the same time, I don't feel comfortable asking six people in the same room to switch to English because of me. Right. So it's so amazing to hear your example, Jeff, how you have put the effort of going to people's home and talking to them, really meeting them where they are, understanding their needs. It's so important because that is what creates commitment and engagement for people. And that's when, as you said, they understand that they are being listened to. Mm-hmm. It's not just about some statistics or you being nice uh, for, I don't know, student magazine or whatever, that you just going around and talking to parents. Yeah. No, you're taking the input in and you're actually trying to do something about it. And it is very important to build that community where everyone wants to contribute in the way that they can. Yeah. 
I think that's it's important that that you note that you know it, it honestly really anyone can do it. <laughs> I, I I really feel like anyone can do it, and what it doesn't cost anything except for your time. <laughs> you know, so granted, it does take time, and you you can't do it without. I mean, um, you know, we we uh, and I think it's a quality of time that you spend with people too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. the quality as well as quantity, you know? So when I talked about the fact that I stayed there for eight years, uh, could we have gotten that done in less than eight years? I mean, maybe, but I think it, I think it's a combination of both the quality of the time that you spend with people and also the quantity. So I think it took me a while uh, over, over time building up relationships, which also equaled trust and, and rapport with people and a mutual respect um, they knew that I didn't understand Spanish, but I was willing to learn. They wanted to and trusted me with their with their input um, so much so that um, one of the things we ended up doing was building a community garden right on the school property because many of the immigrants, that's what they did home in Mexico, they were farmers. And so um, we worked with a community organization and built a, a, school, a garden right on the property where they grew their own crops. And then in the summertime, they would sell them at a farmer's market right on the school property. So I don't know if we could have done that in just a year or two, you know, of de- trying to develop relationships and understand what their needs really were. So interesting. Hey, Genius Leader, I'm chiming in here quickly to ask you to do one thing for me. If you're enjoying this episode, share it with one person who you think would find it valuable as well. Let's spread the goodness together so that more people can play within their zone of genius. I love it how you say about and point out and emphasize that it takes time, so quantity of time, but also the quality of it. And I said that we'll follow up on that. I want to go dig deeper into that. Uh, Now you've been in different schools. You have been in the principal role, right? You You've gone through that process of building the trust, building the relationship from ground zero. And I guess you've learned something that actually made uh, or helps you now get this quality time that is critical for building the community quicker. So can you share those leadership lessons of building a community, how to create this uh, quality time? What have you learned? What were your mistakes and how you're dealing with them right now? Yeah, well, sure. I think that uh, one of the lessons that I've learned um, is to really, it takes a while. (laughs) It took a while to learn this, you know, to really listen well, you know, to people Mm -hmm. so that when you are with somebody, um, it's, it's really critical to help them to understand that they are the only person in the room, whether there's a hundred people there or, or just 10, how can I make you feel like you're the only one in the room right now? You know, how can mm-hmm. I make you feel like um, what you're saying to me really counts? Because I'm I'm sure you have encountered people, I have myself, whether they're leaders or what, what, what have you, who are quick to dismiss and uh, who say, um, you know, how are you? But but you know that they don't really want to hear how you really are, right? If I if I ask you how you are, I hope that I have the time to listen to tell me if you choose to, <laughs> you know, how you really are doing. 
Otherwise, you know, maybe, maybe I don't ask how you are. It's not that I don't want to know. It's just that if I can't give you the time right now, and that's the other thing too, is if somebody comes to me and asks me if I have a minute, um, just being really honest with them. If I don't, <laughs> you know, I, I, I say that I have an open door policy. So come in whenever you want. Right. Um, but if, if someone asks me if I have a minute, I'm going to tell you if I don't, and then I'm going to follow up with you and say, I really want to give you the time, but right now I can't. So let's, let me touch base with you when I have 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever you need so that I can give you my undivided attention. You know, I think that's, I think that's critical. And those I, side, I'll just pause here because I think those two lessons themselves are just valuable more than gold. Mm. First of all, you said really making sure that you have the headspace to be fully present for the person. And I love what you said, make the person feel like they're the only one in the room. Yeah. Just basically creating this experience of, hey, I'm being listened to for real. Unfortunately, it just happens a bit too seldom nowadays. So I'm really happy yeah. to see that you were one of those examples who, who are doing it or building this, this habit and this skill within, right? You, you, you said it. it took a, a long time to learn it, to skill. understand that it's valuable and then to learn it. And yeah, no one is perfect, right? We all can be self-occupied sometimes. We all have some lives that affect us. Um, and it's important to understand that sometimes it's not possible to be this fully present and having the courage to actually say that not now yeah. is yeah. precious. But, it, but it's honest, right? I mean, it's honest. And I, I think somebody, I don't, I didn't make this phrase up, but somebody passed along the phrase to me, clear is kind, right? So if mm. you're clear with someone, you're actually being kind, you know? So I, that's, I take that to mean, I'm going to be very honest with you and very clear with you. Uh, and I hope that you take that as kindness, because if I don't have the time right now, um, and then the other pieces, of course, following up with them and, and, and so that they see that you remember, you know, mm -hmm. that, that their time is important. Somebody needed to speak with you. I'll even do it if I see someone passing by my office and they and they peek in, but they keep going because they see I'm on the phone. I'll track them down later and say, hey, mm -hmm. did, you, did you need something from me? I can tell that you were kind of waiting around my office and, you know, I have some time now. So I think those are I think that's that's critical as well. Follow follow through, follow up with people. And I struggle with that. You know, I'm not perfect with it. Uh, I, I practice that as much as I can. And I find it that uh, I'm in a larger school. Um, you, you know, we talked about having 2,400 kids. That's not all in one building. I have 1,700 kids here at the 10th or 12th grade level, and then 600 mm -hmm. kids across town at the ninth grade level, the freshmen. But it comes with a large amount of staff too. You know, I have over 300 staff members that I'm responsible for. And, um, you know, when, when do I find the time to get to know everybody? You know, it's, 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 I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's close to impossible, <laughs> you know, cause it is impossible. And they say, because of the, they, they say that the sweet spot is 150 people, right? You can have meaningful relationships with up to 150 people at a time. And once your organization reaches that level, it's time to break down the structures and actually be okay with like, you won't have a personal relationship with every person. You won't know the their names, let alone their family names or their pets. Right. It's just, we shouldn't put that pressure on ourselves. If that is not about good, oh, what good leadership is about. Right, right. Because that's supernatural and superhuman. It's about being human, being honest with ourselves and respectful uh, of our people, right? And uh, I, so. 
creating the structures that everyone is seeing. So even if it's not by me as the leader of the organization, right. when the organization is bigger than what I can handle personally, I make sure that I have managers underneath me who are speaking my values to the rest. That's very true. Those managers underneath you. So for, for me, it's uh, my assistant principals and it's also my department chairs, my the, the chairs of each department, English, social studies, science, math. Those people have to espouse the same values so that I know that when I'm not present physically, that the, those values, like you mentioned, are, being, are, are getting out there into the rest of the organization. And then when I do, perhaps by chance, come across you, I will, you know, then take the opportunity to make sure that I can give you the time and get to know you a little better. I think that's important too. No, I'm not going to see everybody on a daily basis or have a need to talk to them even. Um, but when I do come across you, um, I want to make sure that I take five minutes if if possible to just chat real quickly. How are you? How are you doing? You know, what are you up to? What's what's bothering you lately? What What's going well? You know, how can I help? That kind of thing. So important. So First of all, thanks a lot, Jeff, that you're sharing so vulnerably and openly about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, you're not perfect either. And it takes time to learn it. And it, t- it takes resilience or, or patience to actually practice it because sure. it, yeah, we're all humans. Um, what other lessons have you learned about building that community and getting this quality time that you need to understand the needs of everyone? Mm. I think that... Um... You know, that's a good question. I think that besides, you know, spending time with people and, um, you know, the, this idea of, of being everyone, everything to everyone, I think it's listening to other people's ideas, too. I think that um, I've learned and, and, and again, I'll go back and just, you know, dare say that I'm sure you've been in situations where you're asked to be a part of a committee, for example, and and um then at the end of that committee, whatever length of time the committee is formed, a decision is made and it's not the recommendation of the committee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that happens a lot in education, you know, where a committee is formed and people are quick to to figure out that a decision has already been made, but maybe mm-hmm. uh, leaders want it to look like they're gathering people's input and feedback, but a decision has already been made. And so they don't bother to be on committees anymore. So I don't know. I, I, it's not that I, that I ever really did that put together committees knowing that a decision has already been made, but I'm, I'm really, I really take the time now. Again, it goes back to listening and to hearing what other people, uh, what their frustrations are with the company or with the organization, in my case, with the school or with the district and trying to make a difference and letting them know how, how do you, how do you know that people feel valued and heard? You know, how do you know that? You know, and I think that one indication is uh, if people have, uh, if people are just quiet, like for example, I ask people at a at a staff meeting when everyone's gathered and nobody says a word. You know, like, hey, how's everyone doing? And nobody says anything. Well, that can mean either two things: one, you don't want to extend the length of time that we have to sit at a staff meeting, or two, you feel like um, nothing is going to get done anyway, so you don't bother mm-hmm. saying anything. You know, and I called my staff out on it one year a few years ago. I said, I think that the reason why nobody speaks up is that because you don't feel like I have the power 
as a building principal to really make a change so you're not going to bother speaking up anyway. And I saw a few of the veteran staff go, you know, nodding their heads like, yeah, you, you got it. That's right. So not necessarily directed towards me. Um, because in an organization, I think a building principal could be viewed as like a middle manager, you know, because I have district leaders that I report to and I take direction from as well. So I think that's frustrating. You know, I think that's frustrating. So I've learned really, if I'm going to say to you that um, I really want to hear your feedback and I'm going to form this committee and uh, I'm, I'm really clear on what the goals of the committee are and the decision-making process too. I want a committee to be formed so I can hear your opinions and your feedback, but I'm going to make the final decision. That's one. Or I'm going to form this committee because I really want to hear your feedback and your opinions. And I want you, us as a collective group to make the final decision. Whatever we say here, we own. We take responsibility, whether it goes good or bad, it's a collective decision. So I think I've really learned um, over time, and I failed, failed that way a couple of times as well, on really allowing people and putting trust in people to make the decisions, because that's what we hired them for. So, Yes, yes. I'm talking so often about that, that finding good talent is now on the top list of challenges for many leaders globally. Yet, when this amazing talent finally lands into your organization, quite often we have challenges with actually providing them enough uh, growth space, enough challenge for them to feel like they are really using their potential. True. And that's why they leave. And that's why we need to find some new people again. And just recently, I wrote a, a thought article for um, a portal in, in, in Sweden about that. That is one of the ways of how you are burning people, your people out. And that's what we discussed on your podcast, the Leadership Lab. Right. Principal, principal Leadership Lab, right? <laughs> um, that sometimes it comes from the best intentions of yours. You don't want to overload your people, for example, or you just feel like it, it's quicker for you to do it yourself than delegating and training the, your people on doing that. But hey, there, you're just basically having the best football players sit on the side bench watching mm. the game where the coach is running around for the whole team. How smart is that? Yeah, right. Right? right. And it, you burn yourself out that way. You stress your people out because they're, they're just sitting there on the bench and thinking, why the hell am I here? Right. So true. I can do something better on some other team. That's so true. That's so true. And I think that's, I think it goes back to, to trust, you know, trust, trust your people to perform, trust your people to make the right decisions or don't hire them. <laughs> it's, why, you know, it's why we hire people, you know, that's why we put people in the places to, to perform and to do the work that we ask them to do. You know, I don't want to micromanage. I don't want to be that person who's running around on the sidelines, like a, you know, chicken with his head cut off, um, going crazy, trying to figure out why things aren't going right when I'm not, when I'm trying to do it all, you know, put the people in, let them play, let them perform. If they can't evaluate them out. I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's, it's not. <laughs> it is. It's not. You're also human, right? You, you have your emotions sure. involved. Sometimes you can feel like, okay, if I, evaluate this people person out they their livelihood of their whole family depends on plus i need to fill that spot with someone and it's not always easier especially in the education system i don't know how it is in the us but in in sweden and ukraine it's it's challenging to find teachers for the schools not everyone wants to go into that because it is hard work it's hard um, yeah. and 
and not everyone is capable of doing that. I would not be able to work with kids for so many hours in a row. In a row. And my husband's mother, so my my mother-in-law is uh, was now she's retired, but she was a teacher in school. And my husband was joking that the short uh, days in school are not for the kids, but it's for the teachers to not go nuts. Yeah. <laughs> to survive actually tiring and yeah it is it is tiring and that's the thing like all those emotions involved for you and and sometimes you don't even have the power of or changing that person out um as you said sometimes it's maybe the the, the last word is uh by the district or or something like this so how do you navigate that all those power games let's call them that way uh, and sometimes you don't even hire those people right you inherit a team when you come in a place with an existing staff as a principal so what have your learnings been from from those um, experiences yeah that's a good question and a good a good topic and i think that um you know navigating uh the politics navigating the emotion navigating um like you mentioned, inheriting uh, a new staff that you didn't hire, it all, you know, you know what, one, one thing does not change ever, ever. And that is how you, how you treat people. Mm -hmm. That is, that is, if you go back to one of my, one of my cores is spending time with people, getting to know people and thereby developing trust and rapport with people. They'll know, you know, who you are, internally they'll know who you are down to your core down to your roots you know so i think that navigating those issues is difficult but another i think i guess lesson that i learned is that um i am usually always soft on the person but tough on the issue you know mm. um so remain remembering that we're humans but i still need to get this decision made or this issue resolved so I can be firm on the issue, but I'm going to be soft on the person. So I might come to you and say, "Hey, Anna, um, let's sit down and have a chat." You know, I, I'm, I'm I've been thinking about you lately. Um, I was wondering how that our conversation uh, ended up the other day when we talked about this thing that you were going to do in your classroom. And then, you know, I'm just wondering how how that ended up because I don't I don't recall ever hearing back from you about it, and you know, just just approaching a person in that way, you know, because I've had people approach me the other way too. And like, what the hell were you thinking? You know, this didn't work out. You failed, you know, that, that, that's going to put me off right away. You know, mm -hmm. that's not, that's not being soft on the person, you know? Um, so I think it's a skill to, to, to remember that, that people are humans and that soft skills are, are, are so necessary in a human business. Right. Which yeah. is pretty much every business. <laughs> That's what I just say. Nowadays, it's every business, anyways. Yeah. Uh, I really love it how you said it, Jeff. Really being soft on the people and then firm on the issue. Hmm. Can you give us a couple more? You gave example now, and thanks for that. Can you give a couple more, maybe phrases, ways to put it, uh, so that it's it's easier for for the genius leaders tuning in to prepare for those conversations to really make clear this thing like distinguish clearly and make this clear separation between the person and their ac action, for example, what we, you said about the person and the uh, issue. 
Sure. Well, I think it, I think you can also remember that um, the phrase that I use, that clear is kind. You know, I think mm. that's important too. I can still be really crystal clear with you, but know that I care about you. I think I, I learned this other phrase uh, from from John Maxwell: uh, care and candor. You know, I can mm. still care for you, but be very candid about what I what I what I need. You know, what I need done or what I'm what I'm telling you. Like we can have a very candid candid conversation, but how can I leave you at the end of that conversation, still knowing that I care about you? You know, I think that's really important because if you feel that I don't care about you, then my words have, have probably fallen on deaf ears, right? Mm-hmm. I had a, I had a, a building principal one time, a long time ago when I was a teacher um, and he and I were one time walking down the hallway and it was only him and it was only me. And we were the only two in the hallway. I was walking one way. He was walking past me and uh, he didn't even look up from his, his phone um, to, to acknowledge me. Didn't even look up, didn't even acknowledge that I was there. Um, I know that he saw me because he, you know, he was looking in the hallway and looking at his phone and he didn't even say hi to me. And so I'm left feeling very insecure and not feeling that he cares about me at all, you know? And so later when I get called into his office to have a conversation about my evaluation and uh, he tells me, gives me very glowing remarks about how well and how wonderful everything went. And uh, it left me, you know, although that was a great conversation, sort of one, one-sided, I didn't really feel that like he knew me as a person or cared about me. And so even those remarks I felt were empty. So it can go one of two ways. If you don't feel the person knows you and cares about you, then either the candid conversation or the you know, glowing conversation mm-hmm. can fall on deaf ears. It didn't mean anything to me because he didn't really know me as a person. Does that make sense? Such so, an important I, example. Yeah. Thanks for that, Jeff. Because what you said about it, it's a tiny little thing that really leaves this feeling for you. And that feeling becomes the, the red threat through the whole relationship later on. And it's it's this getting into debt <laughs> or within the relationship, debt of trust um, or debt of respect that is quite hard then to pay back in a way to get back into the black numbers if we're talking yeah. about the financial terms. And we're all human. We all, all make mistakes, right? And maybe it was the worst day of the, of the life of that principal for, okay. for a decade or so. You'll, you'll never know. But that's the thing. We as leaders have responsibility to explain that, to be self-aware that we might be hurting our people in one way or another or hurting our relationship with, this, with our people. And always make sure to be open about that afterwards because mm. that is the way how you actually can build that relationship back to a healthy place if right. you would start then saying like hey jeff that was an awkward moment back there in the hallway sorry for that just had a bad day then you already like you know it it's still weird maybe but you know it, that you have been seen it was this principle's self-leadership in a way to take responsibility for his state and not try to bring it on you you know maybe he was afraid of you know, barking at you <laughs> because of his bad mood. And that's why he just turned on his phone and tried to just not explode on someone who whose fault it was not. But that's the thing. Our responsibility as a leader is to talk about those things afterwards. If we don't feel strong enough and resourceful enough to talk about them in the moment and take them in the moment. That's mm, so true. And I think that would have made all the difference in the world, right? That would have made, that would have been a huge difference. You know, instead, unfortunately, you know, this was, it became, I, 
could see that this was a pattern, you know, mm. every time I went to, to see him, he was very dismissive or listening with half an ear, you know, in his computer or in his phone and just looking up at occasionally and nodding. And so you're left wondering, you know, mm. you know, why, but you're right. That would have made all the difference in the world. And I think as leaders, we have to remember that, that if you're having an off day, that's okay. You have the right to, to have an off day, but maybe come back and say, Hey, I acknowledge the fact that it was me, not you. You didn't, you know, do anything wrong unless you did. <laughs> <In that case. laughs> Tell me, <laughs> you know, but I think it's important. I think it's important also to, to go into everything with a positive or have positive presuppositions about people. Like if I know you and and I know you on a daily basis, this is how you normally are. And then I encounter you another day and you're grumpy and walking away from me. I'm going to have that positive presupposition about you that, okay, I know Anna as a person, she must be just having a bad day. I'm just going to let this go. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to, to have positive presuppositions about people. It's it's definitely something that I've been practicing. And I have friends and clients actually asking me about that. How do I manage? And I would say it's always a choice, right? When, for example, some uh, someone on my team uh, is not replying to me or um, something is not going as I want, I can get pissed. Sure. That's my choice. Or sure. I can, for example, think, okay, uh, what if something happened to them? Mm. And instead of being angry at them, I directly be worried. And then my message to them is, hey, name, is everything okay? Haven't heard about you or like from you about this delivery. Is everything fine? Can I help you anyhow? Right. And that changes it all. And just this week, I actually had a conversation with one of my clients about that, that um, who is afraid of rejection a lot. And we had the situation with him that I didn't reply to his email in the timeline that he expected me to, which was because of my personal issues, which I didn't want to share with him in the moment because I was still going through the emotions of sickness mm-hmm. in the family. And uh, I was very open about that with him afterwards when I thought I could manage that. But he already kind of wrote me on this ramble message, like saying all those things like, okay, I don't know what I've done and why, why are you ignoring me and those kind of things. And afterwards, he apologized for that and said, like, okay, there was very, like, but you understand now how big this fear of rejection is for me. And we discussed it. And I said, whenever you feel like someone is rejecting you, first of all, think about it. It's never about you. It's about the other person. Mm. You never know what's going on on the other side. Never. That's, That's true. That's true. So the practice how you can actually exercise of not thinking that they're rejecting you is coming up with 10 reasons why the hell is Anna not replying my, to my email. <laughs> and I usually suggest to go through serious ones. Like, as I said, I, I choose to assume or to, to think that something might have happened to my team, uh, teammate or uh, someone within their circles. But then I usually give this exercise of coming up with 10 different ways and some of them should be funny. Sure. I don't know. I I was I'm just thrown out on the uninhabited uh, island somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic and that's why I can't reply to him. Ridiculous. But that kind of takes out the drama of this. Mm-hmm. And this is the practice that we can actually exercise on a daily basis or whenever it happens so that it becomes less dramatic and less traumatic whenever it happens to us that we mm-hmm. feel rejected. That's true. And that we don't feel it more often than it actually happens. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I like that practice, you know. Um, just it helps to to also to get out of your own head 
And, and because too often we start to really, the self-doubt settles in, especially when you don't hear from a person, you know, they don't respond to you. Like the example that you gave, you know, um, you can start to have some self-doubt and insecurities uh, that rise up and bubble up within you. And it's probably not about you. So a great, that's a great strategy to just write down 10 ridiculous, from the ridiculous to the realistic, you know, mm reasons I'm serious yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i like that that's great it comes it comes with practice and it comes with this with how strong your self-esteem is mm. i have been on the other side of that i have been overthinking things i have been taking everything personally when it was absolutely not about me whatsoever i was taking it personally and i was the fault i was the bad person and so on in my head and the stronger my self-esteem became the easier it was for me to come up with those 10 reasons, the easier it was for me to approach that with humor. I'm reaching out sometimes to people with whom I'm having conversations on LinkedIn when we're like planning to, to schedule a call and the person is not replying. And then I'm just asking, like, hey, are you ghosting me? Yeah. Or, yeah. hey, here are like three reasons why I'm not getting anything for you. And then I just write those humorous reasons. And more often than not, people actually reply like, haha, thanks a lot for, for, for the reminder. And, and then get the, book, the meeting booked. That's great. So it, it's really about, again, coming back to leading yourself first and foremost. Hmm. This is what we need to do, whatever level of leadership position we have, how, no matter how many people, zero, thousand, two hundred. Uh, That's right. Underneath us, we have an organization. It's so important to start with yourself. Mm, that's so true. Leading yourself first. And it's, you know, you know, it goes to the analogy that everyone's heard about the plane. You know, if it's if the plane is going down, you put the mask on yourself first so that you're able to take care of others. Right. Yeah. So, I love that. Jeff, before we wrap up, can you tell us a bit more about the book? Because we, we talked uh, about your story from that. But how did it come to be? What um, what do you want to leave the readers with? And is this book only for educators who are aiming to be principals for the principals or for general uh, communities and audience? Yeah, thank you, Anna. Thank you for allowing me just to speak about it for a minute. Um, you know, the book is Becoming Principal. It's uh, it's out, available on Amazon right now. And um, it's been out for two weeks, I think. Man, about, two, about two weeks now. And it's really it's really my journey of, of how I became principle. And I talked about and referenced that first principalship, those first eight years at, at, at that elementary school. And, and the book is really about those eight years and the stories in there and um, the vo other voices that people will read um, are from students and teachers and, and even a couple of parents uh, from my time there from 2004 to 2012, the eight years that I was there. And it came about because really, as I've always been a writer and I've always written um, a lot of fiction. So, and this was, this is written very narratively. So if it's not a step-by-step -step instructions on how to become a principal, this is not a how-to book. This is, this is more a narrative reflective journey uh, of, of one person's uh, road to becoming who he is today um, and really paying tribute to those kids and teachers there and the work that we we're able to accomplish from building a culture of trust and love and, and, and strong relationship. So no, it's not just for principals. It's for 
a people. It's for, mm-hmm. for just, I mean, it's for, it's for people who, I mean, sure you, you could read it if you are looking to become principal to hear about uh, my personal trials and tribulations and the things that we went through together as a school community, um, bringing the school community together, but it's really about, um, about leadership. It's really about, um, just a journey. And if you like a good narrative, uh, story, um, you you should enjoy enjoy this as well. Uh, so that that's that's really what it's about. And uh, it was a pleasure to write it. It was very cathartic for me. I thought about it for a couple of years prior to turning fifty years old. And so uh, I, I really thought, you know, I have got to get this story down on paper. And and turning fifty was very significant for me. The first half of life, you know, however you want to look at it, you know, I'm in the second half of life now. And, and uh, it was important that I get that story out on paper and, and pay tribute and homage to the people who have gotten me to the place where I am today. So that's it. Yeah. It's great to see people like you who dream and then they do and they really share their story um, to provide something to the community, to leave something behind them. Right. And um, keep building that legacy in different ways. You are building your legacy through putting so much of your love and time into your family, into your employees, into all the students and their families of the school that you're running. But you also have done it in a broader way and through the book and through podcasts that you're running with Adam that is also one of the platforms for you to share and to learn. You're inviting people whom you want to learn from. And uh, I really love seeing that multifaceted and multidimensional contribution of yours to the society. So thanks for that. No, thank you. My pleasure. It's been a pleasure and uh, it's been an honor too. So mm-hmm. I've enjoyed meeting as I'm sure you have on your show here, just getting to know people and, and hearing from them and you grow because of that. You know, every time I leave uh, a podcast uh, that, that Adam and I run, you know, we we always talk about you know, wanting to jump back into the work because we're so inspired, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Jeff, before we wrap up or to wrap up, could you give three pieces of advice to the genius leaders listening? And that can be the summary of what we have discussed so far or something that you feel like we have missed and it should be brought up today. Mm-hmm. Great, great. I think that um, at the at the root in a, of, of every organization or any uh, field uh, that you are, that you're in, it's about people. And so I mm-hmm. think that's always very critical to keep that in mind that um, this is that we are in people business simply because we exist. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, I think it, it my the advice to re- remain soft on the person, but firm on the issue is one of critical importance. I think that um, also you can you know, lead with care and candor as, as John Maxwell points out, Um, you can still have a very candid conversation while leaving the person knowing that you care about them and have the faith and trust in them. And that is the reason why they were hired and why you continue to believe in them. Right. And, um, I also think that, um, Regardless of uh, what field you're in, whether it's education, uh, where you're worried about test scores, or you're in the business, uh, where you're worried about um, um, numbers, and and you want to, you you need to get productivity up so that your profits can can be on the rise, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that starts with your people, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so. I'm reading a book right now. It's it's called Love Works, and um, 
Joel Manby is the, is the author, and uh, uh, he he writes about he was in the the Hershen uh, family entertainment business and um, the Saturn car business. He was with Saturn for a number of years, and um, the lessons he learned when you truly love and and value your people, and so many people are afraid to talk about that. It's 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 a vulnerable place to be, and uh, but he the experiences and that he has seen in the the profits that he's seen grow and the and the the experience experiences for employees um because of the time and energy that you put into your people um pays off more than anything else and so if you're looking for a quick fix you're not going to find it <laughs> you know yep <Yeah. laughs> or you'll find it but you you it will um, bite you in the tail later yeah. on right and yeah, and it. as we started with the sustainability um in the beginning of this conversation, that's what we need to think more about. We have been aiming for those quick wins. We have been focusing on them and it's time to shift the conversation. It's time to shift our mind about what is important and what we want to contribute to. And mm-hmm. that is what you're talking about, really investing in our people. That's right. And ourselves as well, ourselves. because we're part of that team. We are people. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we see ourselves as such. We matter as well. Yep, you're right. Thank you. Jeff, one practical piece of advice, some action step that our genius leaders can take and implement already today after listening. Mm. I think I think that uh, a practical piece of advice is to start start now. You, you know, like mm-hmm. start 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 now and start with something. You know, it, whether that's uh, just taking uh, up five minutes in your office with a with your door closed and writing down a, a couple of goals, a couple of things that you want to accomplish. Um, uh, take some time for yourself to dream big. You know, and uh, and work towards those goals. Those this should not be a a task list or a daily to do list. It should be a you know just a dream big. Like what if it what what would you choose to be working on if you could what would you choose to accomplish if you could do that and then and then and start working towards that <laughs> carve out some time for yourself a piece of actionable advice would be um what i had to do to write this book yeah i couldn't stick to i couldn't stick to telling myself that i'm going to write for 30 minutes a day you know mm-hmm. you you will hear authors say it's important if you want to be an author to write every day and while i while i agree with that um it didn't work for me and so find what works for you. And for me to get the book written while still managing the family and and, and work and with the school and, and everything else um, was that I had to set a, a, a word goal every week. And as long as I hit that word goal, it didn't matter if I accomplished it all in a day or seven days of the week. I knew that I had time and I could be flexible with my time. So it's so important to really show that, really about emphasize that it's important to find the way that works for you. And thanks for sharing that example, Jeff. And uh, to you, genius leaders listening, uh, you are, have heard that piece of advice now from the person who, as we discussed, is running a big school or actually two schools in parallel, yeah. um, which is already a tough work and very demanding, who is a father of eight. And he has just released the book, right? It's yeah. possible. It's about finding the way that you can do it and you can stay in that for the long run, right? So that you not only start doing that, but also find the way to get to that deliverable, to get to that dream of yours so that it it's really about finding your formula. That's right. That's right. Find the formula and then and then stick to it. 
You know, one my, a few good friends of mine talk about being one percent better every day. You know, everyone can everyone can be one percent better every day because that adds up to big wins. Mm, yeah. That's about the sustainability of that change. So, Jeff, if people want to learn more about you, uh, reach out to you, what would be the best way to go around? Oh, probably on um, my socials. You know, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at JD Prickett. Just my mm-hmm. initials of my first and middle name, JD, and then last name Prickett. Um, I'm also on Facebook at Jeffrey Prickett. And uh, so it's pretty easy to find me on, on social media. I'm, uh, I'm pretty involved. Great. Or, or LinkedIn. LinkedIn, Anna, where you and I. Yeah, exactly. That's how we connected with uh, through um, yeah, through Marie. But yeah, you're managing all those platforms on top of all the things we've discussed. I'm impressed, Jeff. Tell your story, right? I think it's important to tell your story, otherwise somebody else will tell it for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's very, why. Very good way to wrap up. Thank you so much, Jeff, for finding the time for this amazing conversation. As I said, I'm loving every time we have the chance to talk to each other, and we know both that this is just the the advice at the beginning of the like friendship and the conversations that will continue for many years to come. So thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Anna. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. For more conversations about living and leading from your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything 